Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is Season 3 of Relatively. Let me have my go first. Okay. Because I'm sat in Kate's basement. The podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. Oh, you're wanted. Okay, I'm just ministering to the cat. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. This week, we're talking to Dame Esther Ranson and her little sister, Scylla Taylor. She's on my side, I'm on her side, aren't we? Yeah, we are. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. She is a shy extrovert if she's going somewhere like to an occasion she really likes to have someone with her and she was the same then and she's the same now she's esther Scylla and i will love each other whatever happens to us we will always love each other and in a new twist i'll be delving a little further back with the help of our sponsors find my past the family history experts Maybe she is the, the answer to the enigma as to why our mother and our aunts had such strong views about helping others and the confidence to do it. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Esther and Scylla grew up in London and briefly in New York too, where their engineer dad worked on simultaneous translation services for the UN. Bright and ambitious, the pair were encouraged to pursue careers by their anarchist mum. Since the 80s, Scylla's lived in Australia, a fact which leaves a gap in both of their lives, although technology helps enormously. We talk about all that, about life in the limelight, unconditional love, and using your little sister like a canary down a mine, all in a conversation in which I felt, at times, a little like a bystander. But Esther started by remembering a three-month stint she spent in hospital when both she and Scylla were very small. Well, yes, I mean, it was a kidney infection that went to my ear. I was pretty ill. I remember that to this very day as a traumatic thing. She was dreadfully ill and she was in hospital for three months and it was the days when they didn't let people visit their children in hospital more than once a week because it upset the children. That's what they knew about it then. There were visiting hours. I think it was probably two days a week they were allowed to come for an hour in the afternoon, maybe, something like that. Ward 42 in University College Hospital. I fell in love with a Scottish doctor. (laughs) I remember fussing and saying I was going to forget what Esther looked like unless they took me to visit her, so they did. Oh, what was visiting her like? Can you remember the scene? Well, slightly I can, because poor little thing, she was so traumatised. Among other primitive things, they had reusable hypodermic syringes. There's a disadvantage to them being reusable, which is they do sort of gradually blunt. And she had poor little things, she had bruises all up and down her legs, and she showed us. And uh... It was quite funny because 
at lights out time, I used to tell the other stories from the Bible. Now, this really discommoded the nurses because they didn't feel they could tell us to be quiet because <laughs> here I was with all the stories I knew from the Old Testament, telling them all. That's a very clever sort of cheeky rebellion. I like it. I'm not sure I realised that, actually. I just thought they were very good stories, which they are, particularly, may I say, the story of Esther, Queen Esther. What sort of a little sister was Scylla? Well, she was the perfect person to play games with, to have imaginative stories with. She was adorable. I always loved her. I am Esther's younger sister by two and three-quarter years. Not quite three. (laughs) Is the two and three-quarter years important? I think it is, yes, I think it is. Some of the childcare books say three years is a good gap because it gives the elder one a little chance to be, you know, an only child and develop their own independence and not get in the way of the younger child, so they say. (laughs) So they say. So can you remember when she arrived then? I'm trying to think. I think I was given a doll called Susie Joy. That might have happened when Scylla was born. As a kind of, you're not the only child anymore, but have a doll sort of thing. Well, what we do in our family is we say it's a present from the new arrival. So we feel very pleased (laughs) that she's arrived, which I was then and still am. We got on famously. I can't remember us quarrelling, although I do know that there was one occasion when I flew at her with my nails out and she held me off at at arm's length, roaring with laughter. I asked about whether you ever fought as children and Scylla said she can't really remember you arguing, although she did remember one instance. No, I can't remember. I can remember the time I got angriest. It was when she was being bullied by some oiks on holiday... I hate bullies, and I suppose I felt protective and I don't know what I felt, but I remember losing it. But I don't remember ever losing it with her. There's a sort of strange, like, visceral anger in the back of your throat, isn't there, when someone bullies somebody you love? It's a, it's a, it's a, a strange sort of rage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When she was being bullied, it was only after I flew at the bullies and shouted at them and took her away that I realised I was standing there wearing a bikini because we were both <laughs> both on holiday together. I do remember that, but she's done that sort of thing many times. Do you, do you remember the little boy on the bike, S, in Long Island? I th- remind me, it's coming we back We were walking to me. down Ivy Way and he was yes. riding his bike at us. Yes, I do remember and I and stood you stepped there. stepped in front. I did. And took it. You did. Yes, I remember and then it you well. S- and looked unflinching. And then when he'd gone away, you said to me, that hurt. <laughs> Which I bet it, bet it did. Yeah, I hopped about a bit. Yes, I do, yeah. I do recall that now. So you actually yeah. put yourself in the path of a, a speeding bicycle for your sister? Uh, yes, a small speeding. Mind, you did yes. send me first onto the mud wallow. Oh, yes, that was very funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was hysterical. We were wandering around the New Forest where I am now this minute. And then and now there are boggy bits. They're quite deep, actually. Rumour has it that a tank on manoeuvres actually sank into a bog completely and disappeared. Anyway, Scylla was not a tank. She was a little person of about six or seven. 
I suspected the bit ahead of us was a bit boggy, so I said, she was lighter than me, <laughs> would you like to run across there? And she started to run and lost a shoe and oh, ran back. I mean, it, I just sank in the middle. A sort of aged farmer, Forrester, arrived <laughs> and, bless his heart, I, all I remember was he had a very long droopy moustache. Anyway, he had a stick and he managed to hoik the shoe out of the bog, which was very kind. <laughs> so you weren't always so noble, Esther, is the, is the lesson behind that? Well, yeah, I did test things out on Scylla as she was there. Oh, well, I always thought you just hadn't thought it through. Well, yes, there is that too. Well, no, well, well, I thought, no I'm not giving you that. <laughs> I thought you were lighter than me and I was more likely to sink, so I thought I'd try you out on it. <laughs> Failure of logic there. Yes, I know. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about your mum and dad and what sort of household and childhood you had when you were little. Mother was mother was quite a funny woman, mostly on purpose. <laughs> mum was an anarchist posing as a respectable lady. <laughs> you know, she looked like a respectable conventional suburban lady and she wasn't. <laughs> and, and father was told the most wonderful stories. Oh, yeah, he had a temper on him. Mm. Did she have a temper? Yes, she did. She was naughty and mischievous and funny. And that continued right into her old age. In fact, I don't think any of us change very much, except we get become more of what we always have been. Mm. So that was her. When you say she was an anarchist, how did you know? Where did it sort of escape out, peep out her anarchy? She was never... Um, like my school friends' mums who brought out the chocolate biscuits and the doilies when we went there for tea. You know, she was much much more, um, I don't know, a sort of lateral thinker. She thought she was doing the right and expected thing most of the time. Yeah, but she didn't just say she... she didn't say the right and expected thing. She made us laugh. Oh, she did. She did she ever big. embarrass you if you were expect if you were sort of brought up in amongst people whose parents were doing the chocolate biscuits on doilies thing? Did you ever feel a bit like, oh, mum, could you just be a bit more standard, or did you like her twinkle? I think we liked it, didn't we? Though I can't remember chocolate biscuits on doilies. I think feel I must have missed out on those. No, they were my <laughs> school friends. Oh, those. When one went yes. to tea with them, you see, everybody went to great trouble to be to make it lovely and be polite and our mum didn't and if she thought people had come to our house and overstayed their welcome she would get out the vacuum cleaner if you remember and I do. move around their feet absolutely yes. <laughs> I remember I once actually met an anarchist and his wife and um, they came to tea I think and when the anarchist didn't get up when my mum came in the room she tipped him out of his chair <laughs> so it was the bite a bit that, that. <laughs> That always amused me. <laughs> I knew that she wanted both of us to have careers, which I suppose was quite groundbreaking, really, because I was born in 1940, and Mum herself had never had what you might call a career, though she had a job before she got married. I think it was quite frustrating for her because she would have been a really good businesswoman, mm. um, like her father, but it was not to be because she was not that generation. Mm. And do you think there was a little bit of her not... Um, you know, that was not je not envious or jealous, that's probably too much, but a little bit wistful. There was a bit of frustration that she never had that opportunity. So, yeah, but she, she didn't envy either Priscilla or me, but um, it was a sort of wish fulfilment for her that we should be able to do the kinds of things that she wasn't able to do. Yeah. 
Father was also um, an original thinker, very, very bright. I would say the brightest person I ever knew. He was um, a scientist. He was an electrical engineer who worked in the BBC as head of lines and designs. Absent-minded, very focused on his intellectual life. They were very interesting, very different. What sort of games can you remember playing? Well, that's a good question. Um, We pretended we had ponies. I do not want ponies. And we were town children. We were London children. So we had a dog and a cat, but we never had a pony. So we used to pretend we had one, that sort of thing. (laughs) You were town children in London and then you were town children in New York. Can you tell me what that experience was like for you? In New York? Yeah. Well, I was very, very happy there. The journey there was pretty horrendous because there was a hurricane and the ship tossed and bucked and I got very sick, I remember that. But when we arrived, our father was waiting for us and we drove out to Port Washington on Long Island, this lovely white clapboard house with a nice garden and we went to a a lovely school actually, Buckley Country Day School, which doesn't exist anymore. I loved it. I loved it. And I think Esther enjoyed it. You'd have to ask her. I remember her playing Alice in Wonderland in the school play. Oh, right. (laughs) And I remember me doing rather well in the spelling bee. I had a long blonde wig. I think somewhere (laughs) I've got a picture of me in this long blonde wig. And I was trained not to use the English O, so I had to learn to say nut. (laughs) But it was fun. Can you remember any of your lines or any of your songs? Certainly not. (laughs) Now, wait a minute. I might. Now, I do know the words of the Walt Disney, Alice in Wonderland, White Rabbit song. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. No time to say hello, goodbye, what did I do? I'm late, I'm late, I'm late. And when I wait, I lose the time I save. My fuzzy ears and whiskers took me too much time to shave. I think Scylla probably knows all the words to that, too. What's it been like having a sister um, in the limelight in the way that Esther has been? Has it been strange or a joy? How would you describe it? It's in her nature, so it's not that it surprised one in any way. I mean, she was in the limelight when she was at Oxford. She was, she's, you know, she's a limelighty sort of a person. So one knows that about her, and I'm a not limelighty sort of a person, and that's fine. Faintly irritating when an old colleague of mine took me round the childline office in the very early days and introduced me as Esther's sister and I said to him, Dearest, we have known each other for decades. I've got a name which you know perfectly well. Give me my name. <laughs> so he apologised and did. <laughs> you know, she just she's just... That's Esther. And um, she's done great things with the limelight. She has indeed. Yeah, Mm. she has. She says she did very well in the spelling bee. That's her kind of highlight of your time in New York. Well, well done her. She was then and is now extremely bright. I was going to ask about her sort of character and personality. What, What would you describe it as, apart from being bright? She is quite left of centre politically, always sides with the underdog. She's very perceptive. Um, She helped me a great deal with Childline, gave me all sorts of insights. Um, Because, I don't know why, but we were brought up that if I was on the art side, which I clearly was because 
my maths was terrible, she would probably be on the science side. I don't know why anyone thought that, but <laughs> she was guided that way. I'm not sure it is her natural instinct. I think she's really, sociology was very much her bag, which she ended up doing a postgraduate degree in. Of course I am incredibly bright. She's <laughs> she's no slouch either. But I think I shuffled myself towards maths and science because I, A, I liked it, and B, I didn't want to go in Esther's shadow, and she was terribly good at arts and languages. Mm. Yeah, but you could do them, you see. I couldn't do them. That bit of my brain doesn't work. I drive people potty. I have the theory that numbers are your friend, and it really irritates people when I say that. I don't agree with you at all. Numbers are not my friend. it, It isn't at all irritating. And actually, my grandson... Um, and indeed my son, I now realise, f- also agrees with you that numbers are their friends. So she's intelligent, sensitive, empathetic, caring, mm. sides with the underdog, fantastic parent, fantastic grandparent, fantastic sister, fantastic aunt, all those things. This season of Relatively is sponsored by Find My Past, the online home of the 1921 census. In 1921, life in England and Wales could be tough, but there are lots of examples of humour in the census records. Constance Bernard Fitzhammond listed her three young children's occupations as getting into mischief and getting into more mischief, and for her 11-month-old baby, occupying feeding bottles. Did your grandparents add a quirky note when they completed the census? View the record itself at findmypass.co.uk to find out. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. It's a good ringtone, Silla. Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Hi. Hi. I hobbled downstairs. Poor you. <laughs> the picture of Sadie is wondrous. Who's Sadie? Am I allowed to ask? My granddaughter, Esther's great niece, is she? And she has a will of iron, and she's three. That's an interesting age, right? Well, it's an I excellent she's, age. Yes. She's always going to be. Yes, at she an is interesting the way age. Yes, she is the way she's going to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was it like when you guys made each other aunties? Well, it was very kind of her. She's got lovely children. <laughs> And I was extremely grateful to you, Scylla. I'm not sure I've ever thanked you adequately. No, you probably haven't, and I think you should. I'm sorry. Consider yourself <laughs> thanked. I will. <laughs> I'm kind of getting the humour now. Makes you feel a little bit silly when you're not a ransom. I was wondering what it was like when you were made an auntie, Scylla. Can you remember? I definitely can remember. I, re- I remember M being born and having your hands, Esther. Do you remember? I absolutely do. I remember... Us in, in the um, hospital. And you were extremely <laughs> helpful, extremely helpful, because in those days, you know, I was demand feeding against 
the better judgment of all the midwives who tried to stop me and tell me that it was really bad for me to breastfeed if I was eating grapes. And Scylla's face was an absolute picture. So funny. Mm. Don't eat stoned fruit, mother. Yes, absolutely, if you're breastfeeding. And do you know when I had Kate, they had just stopped issuing Guinness to new mothers yeah, because it was high in B12. I missed out on that. Yeah, I think that was probably good. Yeah, I think so. Would have cheered things up a bit anyway. Certainly. Which one needs at that stage? I was going to say. <laughs> Stiff drink. Um, and how would you describe Esther's character? Is it the same as when she was little or has it changed? Yes, it's the same as when she was little. In that, she is a shy extrovert. Are all extroverts shy, do you think? A lot of them are. So... She, if she's going somewhere, like to an occasion, she really likes to have someone with her. Mm. And then she'll fling herself into it in a cheerful way. And she was the same then and she's the same now. She's Esther. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that is true. Not many people see underneath the extroversion, but um, she's known me longer and better. And I suppose she knows about the bits before and after, so... So I, I told you she has huge insight. Yeah. When you say she knows the bits before, that's something that comes up on this podcast a lot, that, you know, you can be returned to yourself by your siblings. They remember who you were before you are who you are, if you see what I mean. Why is that important? Um, well, it's, it's... The point about the world is that they can be very fickle. They can love you one moment and hate you the next. You can be up, you can be down. And it's quite interesting when you're down, you discover new things about the people you thought were your friends. Mm. Um, and it's possible to be misled when you're up into thinking that other people do care about you, which they don't, most of them. So um, to have that constant, unconditional love. Scylla and I will love each other whatever happens to us. We will always love each other. Having that as a sort of support, it's a, it's a sort of, it, it, it's physical, emotional, intellectual support that you know that this person you love will always love you. Mm. It's amazing, really, isn't it? Mm. And so when you were little, were you kind of her touchstone then? Like she'd take someone to a drinks party to be her safe port of call. Would that have been you sometimes? Well, I don't think I went to a lot of drinks parties. Well, you know, <laughs> children's parties. I, mean... I may mention. I mean, our family was fun, but it wasn't that fun. <laughs> when we were sort of big enough to be going to parties ourselves, sort of teenagers, mm. uh, we would go together and occasionally would mix and occasionally would sit together round the wall and commentate on the other people there. <laughs> So after you came back here, then Esther went off to Oxford. How did you cope being separate? Because that's been a big story of your sister relationship, really, hasn't it? But it must have started when she left home for university. We, I think we've always accepted that we each do our own thing. Mm. And, and then rather enjoyed chatting about it while we're doing it. And is that the same now? You're in Australia. I don't know when you moved there, but that's quite a big separation. We moved here in 1981 for two years. Hmm. So there's a fair bit of maths in that. I shouldn't <laughs> bother doing it. Um, 
Well, of course we miss each other. It's odd to be quite so far apart because we're not quite sure how we're going to see each other again under the present circumstances. I mean, the great thing now is technology, isn't it? Mm. It was awful decision that she took to move 12,000 miles away. That was very tough for everyone. My parents used to spend, I think, something like three months of the year with her. And I visited her as often as I could. Mm. And now we talk every day. So we stay in touch, but it's not the same. And what do you miss most about her physically? Physically? Hmm. Like, would you like to sit on the sofa with her? Would you like to give her a big hug? Would you like to go shopping with her? Do you know, we're really not terribly huggy. Oh. We have hugged on occasion, but we're not terribly huggy. But we do sit on sofas together and chat away. But we chat in a similar way with a bit of technology in our hands. Um, I asked her what she sort of missed physically about having you around. I wonder what you would say. Well, it's just the bumbling around the house and looking at the garden and watching Judge Judy and those things. You know, it's it's actually, it's the non-verbal stuff, you know, that you miss. No, it's, it's uh, a big gap in my life, perhaps in hers too. I think that's a really interesting point. I don't think anyone has made that in all of the chats I've had about the pandemic, that when you do a Zoom or a WhatsApp call, then you have to talk. But actually what you often miss is just being. Yeah, absolutely. Someone defined loneliness as having pl- plenty of people to do something with, but nobody to do nothing with. And Scylla and I do nothing together very, very well. Yeah. And you fit together, don't you, sisters? You can kind of waltz around without bumping into each other because you know each other so intimately. Yes, yes. If it's a good relationship, it's a it's a wonderful relationship. Mm. And after you lost your husband, did that become more important, that unconditional person in the world? Um, well, no one replaces Desmond. Very different relationship at every level. But I think after I lost my parents... Scylla basically is my grown-up family. She's, she's the family member that's known me longest. And I think losing our parents probably has meant that our relationship has become even more important. Mm. I was going to say something about you describing her as a lover, you know, someone who looks out for the underdogs, but that's really you as well, isn't it? If you look at what the, the sort of greatest strands of your life's work perhaps silver line and child line that's that's about the underdog too yes i think um i have sometimes said it's a great advantage to belong to a minority um as we're jews we know about um the importance of having people who are in power people who are in the majority um who are tolerant and give you the opportunities and um, respect you and allow you the freedom you need to be an individual within your own culture. And I think being that sort of social underdog is very helpful because you, you don't just always side with the majority. You do tend to pick up the rock in front of you and see whether there are people underneath who are suffering. Mm. 
Right, we ended the discussion with Esther talking about um, looking after the underdog, which she says you do, Scylla, but she sort of said that comes partly from being a member of a minority and that your Jewishness in some way has informed your world views. I wonder what you think about that. Yes, well, I think that's true, I, but I, I think that that was true of our mother and all of our aunts, her sisters as well, don't you, Es? Our mother and her sisters yes. all did caring stuff, didn't they? Now, where did they get that from? It's interesting, isn't it? I think, and I have thought about this, actually, it was a thing that nice young middle-class women did. They did did good works, didn't they? They did good works, but think about it. Aunt Jane, my godmother, when the Second World War happened, went to the Quakers and said, I want to join Quaker Relief, and they said, but you're Jewish, and she said, so? <laughs> so yeah. in the end, they let her drive an ambulance for them, and she drove it into Belson. They were the first civilian <sighs> party to open up Belson, and she wrote about it for the Jewish Chronicle. I mean, she was absolutely remarkable. They were all remarkable, weren't they? They were all Aunt, remarkable. Aunt, None of them were sort of Lady Bountiful. They actually spent a lot of time, didn't they? I mean, think of Mum. She was a, a, a trustee of a, of a children's day nursery in the East End of London in her 90s. Oh, my goodness. Yes. They worked like Billy, all of them. So you come from a, lo a long line of strong and ambitious women who took every opportunity they were given, it sounds to me like. Matriarchy. Yeah, it sounds like that to me. And your daughters mm. must. And maybe Sadie. Maybe Sadie's the next in <laughs> Oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> so this you know, podcast, and you've segued into it beautifully, is about the nuclear family and their stories, but also... This season is sponsored by Find My Past, who are the family history experts. They provide a lot of research for programmes like Who Do You Think You Are, which I know you've been on, Esther. Mm. And so I know that you know a little or maybe a lot about your great-grandfather, Montague Richard Leveson. Yes. What do you know about him? <laughs> Naughty Monty. <laughs> I think he was great. He was fabulous. He could also be completely wrong. And uh, rather boring. He bored a lot of his contemporaries. <laughs> he was passionate about his beliefs. Which were things like, he was an early anti-vaxxer. Oh, was he? <laughs> he was the original anti-vaxxer. He said Louis Pasteur had got it all wrong. <laughs> well, he did quite well on that because he lived to 91. And in the 1921 census, the records show that he was residing in the Springfield nursing home in Dorset. Um, a retired physician born in Westminster. Now physician he was my foot. <laughs> he was accused of, of fraud. This is right, isn't it? That was talked about in Who Do You Think You Are? But there's a well, few. No, I think he was accused of theft. Mm. And um, by his wife, he was ex-wife. He was accused of attempted murder. He and was accused of fraud. Yes, so <laughs> find my past. Have access to the whole British newspaper archive at the mm. British Library. So mm. in the Illustrated Times on the 2nd of March 1867, there's a few more bits of flesh to put on the bones of this fraud allegation. The action against Montague Leveson um, was brought by Mr 
Hall, a solicitor. The accusations were slander, libel and malicious prosecution. It alleged that Montague absconded and there was an outstanding reward. And there is an advert for this reward in the newspaper in 1867 and another article on the 25th of February in the Morning Herald, published in London as well. So there is a couple of articles maybe I could send you, but and I hope it would have something new for you about Naughty Monty. Um, I wanted to finish, Scylla, if you don't mind. I was talking to Esther about the role of sisters in life, which is kind of a broad subject, I know, but the fact that they are constant and they knew you before you were kind of out doing your thing in the world. And I wonder what you sort of think about the sister relationship and yours specifically. Oh, absolutely. Constant support, amusement, where it's appropriate, whatever you're looking for. And really your best friend. I agree. Your best friend. I agree. Mm. Absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, we're our, she's on my side, I'm on her side. If ever there are sides in an argument or a, or a situation, you know, we're there, aren't we? Yeah. We are. And we're not identical and we don't mind that we're not identical. Mm-hmm. No, and we have different views. We, when we mm-hmm. express our differing views, we don't take them to the point of rage and, you know. Mm. We sort of tiptoe up to it and then tiptoe back. Make space <laughs> for it, that's right. <laughs> and do you know when you'll see her again, given the horrors of the pandemic and the trickiness of flying now? Tomorrow morning. <laughs> Online. Online, absolutely, yes. Every day. Thank you to Esther and Scylla, and thank you too for listening. Let's just see what happens. <laughs> Hello, darling. Hello, darling. Hi. Hi. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our sponsors for this season of Relatively Find My Past for digging into their extraordinary records and uncovering the surprising and often revelatory family stories, some of which you've heard today. Find My Past is the only place online where you can access the 1921 census. So if you want to start your family tree or add colour to what you know already, then findmypast.co.uk is the place to do it. You can see some very sweet pictures of Esther and Stella and find out more about the podcast at relativelypodcast.com. You can also catch up on old episodes from series one and two with people like Gok Wan, Chris Packham and Johnny Flynn. Please do rate and review the show, or even better, if you enjoyed it, share it with a brother or a sister. Thank you to Tanita Tickerham for letting us use her amazing song. This is a Pocket production, and sound design is by Nick Carter at mixsonics.com. There's a good tradition of love and hate Staying by the fireside There's a good tradition of love and hate Stand by the fireside, another rain may fall. Your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside. Only your ma's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you, you still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, I still didn't
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.